Happy Friday, everybody. How's it going? Hello, hello. Hey. Hello, hello. Awesome. How's you guys Friday going? It is uh it's going very well. It's beer o'clock. We got our some back uh, back up too nice. here. What uh, kind of beers are those? We are I'm having car back. This is a Texas beer. And some Austin Beer Works uh, Peacemaker mm. Ale. In the back here is another Austin Beer Works Fire Eagle American IPA. And we have Live Oak Hefeweizen, another yeah, Austin so Beer. So. Texas Can beer. we get that out here? I'm going to have to check yeah. the state liquor store to see if we have it. So. Yeah, Austin. <laughs> Carbrock is. That, that's a big one now. Yeah. Um, that's uh, But the other ones, I don't know. I don't think so. But. Interesting. Local. Well, it's Friday, so um, what what better thing to do than um, than have a, a drink of your choice uh, and uh, talk about data? So, um, for people who don't know who you are, do you want to give a quick intro? Yeah, um, I guess I'll go first. Hey, uh, excited to be on the show, uh, Joe and Matt. Uh, I'm Tim Gasper, VP of Product over at uh, Data World. Um, also co-host with uh, Juan at uh, Catalog and Cocktails. Mm -hmm. Uh, we're just about to launch season four, uh, so very excited about that. That's happening next week um, at the nice. Gartner Data and Analytics Conference. So we've been doing that for a couple of years now. Um, I've been in the data and analytics space for as a product manager for 15 years or something like that. So just in general, okay. done this, done that, tried a bunch of things, failed at a bunch of things. So excited to chat about that. Yeah, and I'm Juan Cicada. I'm the principal scientist here at Data.World. And again, with Tim, do the Catalog and Cocktails podcast. Um, I've I have an academic background, so I, I've been around this data and knowledge and data integration space like for 15 plus years. I did my undergrad, my PhD at UT Austin in computer science, and so I've done, I, I still continue to do academia. I still have PhD students and do, do research, uh, but I like to kind of bridge a lot the, the research and what's going on in the real world, observe those problems, bring them into research, and then kind of cycle them back. Uh, and that's a lot of the stuff I get to do here at Data.World too. Industry and academia. Bring those things together. And then, mm -hmm. uh, so I've done, I, I joined Data.World because I did, my previous company was a spin out from my, from our research and then sold it to Data.World. And that's why I'm, I'm here. And we're just having a lot of fun on all this data and knowledge and catalogs. And that, that's, that's my life. That's what I love to do. That's pretty cool. Uh, Matt's an academic yeah, too. Yeah, so my my uh, PhD is slightly less useful, at least in a direct way. Mine is in pure math, so I, I don't have students or anything like that these days. But uh, it's fun. There, there's a bit of crossover going on, like we're working on a, a course right now with the university on data engineering and trying to cross over in like very pragmatic approaches to data, which I think even in computer science sometimes get lost. So it's uh, it's refreshing to hear this perspective of like trying to sort of raise a new generation of PhD students, but focusing on practical problems and not just abstraction. Well, I actually work at, I, I've been getting more involved with theoretical folks. So database yeah. theory mm -hmm. folks, because they're like, I'm like, you're looking, you're studying this very theoretical problem, but yeah. let me, and you make all these assumptions, but why did you make those assumptions? Well, for whatever reason, like if you would have changed that assumption to this other one, that's actually connected to something we observe in the real world. How about that? And like, well, that makes the problem much more harder. Well, good. Go work on that problem because then we actually <laughs> exactly. connect with stuff, right? And then, uh, so that's a lot of the things that, that I, I like to go talk to academics and get find some really uh, smart students to go work on hard problems that are connected to the real world, and we can bring yeah. that back. And a lot of it, we actually, uh, Joe and I have been on an AMA for the Data Talk Club, like the Slack channel, and. Uh, 
we're discussing like the feedback loop between academia and industry and there definitely is one right but sometimes it just doesn't move fast enough and so i think part of that is just having more conversations and like more direct exchange of ideas so that um maybe industry people kind of know what might be coming down the pipe in terms of theory and then academics get informed about what the hard problems actually are which sometimes gets lost in the discussion well yeah i think some of the comments were that yeah. the uh they were teaching still whatever big data was like hadoop in some of their classes and i yeah. think it's maybe good for a historical reference but it's you know it might seem controversial but it's to me it's kind of like learning latin in these this day and age <laughs> it's like <laughs> that's a good one learning hadoop today is like learning latin <laughs> well there's I mean, even some utility like if yeah, you want to go to med school but, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, but now all the hadoop people yeah. will be uh, thrown it's, it's crazy how um, how fast the tech tech uh, trends change right oh yeah academia finally updates the the curriculum and the rest of the world is like oh just kidding we're we're, we're on to spark and you know uh duck db and things like that and it's like oh wait <laughs> maybe in 10 years that's going to be on the uh on the curriculum how do we how do we get that closer right how do we keep it changes super fast but yeah. that's one of the things we, we're trying to balance is you know um you know even though the course in some way is going to be based on our book which is technology agnostic there's still probably a lot of trends that are happening that or not even technology trends mm -hmm. per se, they're just practice trends um, that we'll need to talk about in about a year, right? Like, I think some of the stuff that you guys are talking about with, with knowledge, for example, is is um, something that it, it's more of a pendulum swing. Like, this is probably, you know, these, been, these are discussions that have occurred before, then sort of went away, and now they're, um, you know, it's like the... the one of the episodes, I don't know, the seasons of uh, a show or something, it's back, and, um, and so here we are again, um, you know, and... and that's what we want to talk about too, among probably a lot of other things. I mean, when Juan and I first met, we probably that should have been a podcast episode, to be frank. Like, it was good. We probably could have talked for hours, but but knowledge is one of these things that I see you guys talking about a lot right now. What, what's um, yeah, what, what's up with uh, what's up with knowledge? Well, so I I, I would say we, we we live in this data first world. So I call if you've been following what I post on on on, on LinkedIn, I talk about this knowledge first world. Where that comes from is that we live in this data first world, which means I need more data. Give me more data. Give me more data, data, technology, data, data, data. I'm like, okay, hold on. So you're telling me that you can't solve the problem because you lack data. And if you get more data, you can solve the problem. Call BS on that. And I think that because that's, again, it's just like doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results, right? The Einstein's definition of insanity. So something needs to change. And that change right there is on the knowledge side. And that knowledge for me, it's like something we've been discussing. We actually were like last year, we, we took a, a weekend trip in the, into the middle of Texas to go drink beer and whiskey and go just brainstorm stuff. We came up with this idea of like, you have this knowledge first world, which is people first, context first and relationships first. So you, you have data, but go talk to the people to understand what exactly they want and, 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 and what department do they work in gives you the context of how they're seeing the world. And, and that, and, and all these things are, are connected because the people work together, their departments pass systems and data from one system to another. Um, so from the knowledge perspective, it's what we've always been doing, but we kind of forgotten about it. A lot of the data modeling, right? Mm -hmm. And in, in a data first world, you're always kind of putting the focus on the object of the data that you're collecting. And it's all about that object, whether it's a, an event or, or, a, or a particular row in the database or whatever it's going to be, right? But if you put knowledge first, then the context is actually the most important thing. And like, how are people mm. using it? What are they doing with it? What is the knowledge that lives in people's heads? 
and thinking about how we actually embed that, use technology to actually embed mm -hmm. that and make that something that we can foster and grow. Oh, sorry, one second here. <laughs> no, so so if you think of the, the, the when we when people ask, so what does that mean? Like that's the knowledge part that we need to understand. So uh, mm. I'm, for example, to go go ask somebody how does a business work. And have them go draw, go draw it on the whiteboard. You do bubbles and lines around that stuff, right? So then you go say, ask somebody else, how how does the business? How, how do you see the business? And they're going to draw bubbles and line around that stuff. Compare them, right? Are they the same? Are they different? There's, I'm sure there's going to be parts that are going to be the same, parts that are going to be different, and those differences are going to be the different context. And that's that's how you understand how your business works. That's the knowledge part. And what we need to go do is connect that with the data which is the, mm -hmm. the, the raw facts that have been that have come into the systems because somebody clicked and bought something or whatever, right? Those are the raw facts. We need to start connecting these things. Um, and those connections are, I mean, these are, this is, this is the, the principles. We've been doing this, doing this over and over again. They're rules, they're transformations, right? Everybody loves DBT. Yeah, T, DBT, T are transforms, they're queries. Queries are rules, rules are views, views are, all this stuff is the same thing. We've been doing this for, since the beginning of kind of, modern data management i mean not, not modern i mean like just data management yeah, since, in general yeah. in general since the 70s yeah right? well and i think i mean joe and i both come from a data science background and one of the things we would commonly see and probably applied to us once in a while too is that the data scientists didn't actually know how the business made money and that's a significant problem, right? It's like you're trying to solve this, like, I'm going to give you a magical model that's going to make your business better. Okay, but but how do you actually make money? Like, how does this business work? I thought the predictive model. What are you predicting? Uh, <laughs> well, yeah, and I think, you know, it's, it's funny because you talk to even software engineers too, or I guess anyone that touches data or creates data, and software engineers create data in a lot of cases. But like, I think some pushback I get from, from uh, engineers uh, no matter what um, you know, prefix you have for your, your uh, engineering title is, well, um, you know, I, why do I need to talk to the business? That's somebody else's job, right? And so, I mean, what, what do you guys? What, how do you respond to, to um, th that kind of attitude? Where, yeah, I mean, that's that's nice, but that's that's not really my role. I'm I'm here to engineer stuff, not to you know talk to people. You know, I have a take. I don't know. I don't know. I I think we both have a very similar take on this, which is the the sort of the importance of, you know, what people kind of call the soft skills in addition to hard skills. But I think that's, I think we both think that's kind of the wrong terminology because they're mm. both critical and the soft skill kind of terminology makes it sound like it's less important or optional or, or something like that. But like data engineers, data scientists, analysts, folks that are working with the data, um, it is critical that you be able to understand the business. And those that, you know, have an understanding of the business and maybe have, you know, medium technical capabilities are actually going to probably be more successful than people who have high technical ability, but low business acumen. And so Juan, you've been talking lately, right, about like business literacy being really important, not just data. Mm -hmm. literacy. So honest, no BS, be very blunt around this stuff. If you are a data tech person and you want to have a successful career and grow and make a lot of money and what, but you do not want to go understand the business. You're set up for failure. You will not do that. You will be, you will not succeed. If that's your goal or there, if you just want to sit in the corner and code and do that stuff, then yeah, you know, don't go, don't, I mean, I'm not, and I'm, by the way, I'm not saying that's a bad thing, right? But if, if, if that's what you want to go do, then understand that, but that you're not going to, your possibilities are much more limited. And if that, if that's yeah. what you're, 
blunt and honest. People, I'm actually curious. People will disagree with me on that. I think what we're missing the opportunity here is folks who can be the bridge. And, mm. and I've, I've had this is, I think, the fourth conversation I had today about this on the bridge. And yeah, they're unicorns. Yeah, you know what? Maybe they are, but we don't have they don't have to be unicorns anymore. I think it's just <laughs> literally needs to be more incentives to be able to go understand where the business is. Uh, and, and there needs to be more education around this stuff, too. I mean, I, I talked about this all the time. Why don't we have data modeling anymore? You can get a master's in data and you can get a master's in data science. And there's no data modeling course involved. Around. Oh yeah, you it's, need a it's four year degree in computer science. And assuming you took, assuming you took a database course, you probably had one max two lectures that had data modeling in four years of a computer scientist. That is ridiculous. So I, this, this is this is the change that needs to happen. Um, so at the end of the day, if you really want to go succeed in having a, a successful career understand how the business works go read go, go read wall street journal i tell people to it's a good journal by the way you should read it anyway <laughs> so, um chris tab uh hey chris what's up uh he says you can build the fastest pipeline in the world uh but if it does not solve what the customer uh needs you have failed uh yeah i think it's a hard agree on that one yeah so I, I would like to say i like to say is that yeah. you, we, we define success from a technical perspective so, oh, yeah, we, we here's a million dollars and we build your data lake and all that stuff. It's all there and you pay and you're done. Woohoo. Yeah, but yeah. if I can't answer your questions, like, I don't care. You just, you, there's a bunch of data in there. I'm not solving my problem. So if, so if you look at success from a technical perspective, yeah, you're done. But you look at it from a social perspective, you, you're not successful yet. Well, I, I kind of wonder too. I mean, you always see these old tropes about how like 85% or whatever, 80-ish percent number, like, um, of data projects fail, right? And, I, and, I, and it always, you know, we've all been around the block. I, I wonder how much of it really does come down to, you know, not understanding the context, for example, right? Like, I mean, data these days is fairly easy to acquire, right? I'll argue, um, you know, at least as a raw ingredient, whether or not it's useful is a different story. Um, but I would say there's, you know, there's a glut of data, but of um, useful, actionable um, results from that data are, you know, uh, still... Um, the funny thing is, you know, I mean, I've been in this space for, for a while and, and the same types of questions I remember that I heard when I was getting started out are the same types of questions people are still asking, like, can I trust this data or like, what are, what are you trying to tell me? Right. That's that's something I hear often, um, you know, or uh, what is this? What is this supposed to mean? Right. So, yeah, it, we're, we're facing the same problems that we've been facing five years ago, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 25 years ago. Hundred thousand years ago. Yeah. Hundred thousand years ago. Well, and 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 to your point about you know technology and you know like how many projects of these eight percent that are failing because the technology cannot like are, is incapable of handling the amount of bits and bytes and the I mean we've got very high performance streaming technology we've got mm -hmm. massive scale. Uh, you know, data, databases, we've got Hadoop and Spark and, and we've got GPUs if you want to do massive scale training and things like that. Right. So it's not yeah. the technology that's the missing piece here. It's something else. That's something else is the people aspect. That's something else is understanding what people are trying to go do under just define what success means. So for, like we data.world, we're an enterprise data catalog. And I, I will publicly say this and, and hopefully, okay, we'll see. I dislike the word data catalog because it's much more than cataloging data. 
And and from a marketing perspective, it doesn't sound that nice, but I think it should be called mm -hmm. a data and knowledge catalog because mm -hmm. I need to go start cataloging what the, the knowledge. And what I mean by that is start cataloging your, the questions that you have, your success criteria, catalog the people, how they're related. Like you should, within an organization, you should have inside your, your data catalog, whatever, you should have not just all the tables and columns of, 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 the, of, of your data systems in there, but have your entire organization, the teams, the team structures, how they work. Uh, understand what are the questions? What are their, I mean, what are their objectives? Uh, and all this stuff needs to get connected. So here, here's this dashboard that exists that is being used to answer these types of questions that these quite people are asking for them, right? And you have, and then you bring this all together. I mean, at the end of the day, um, I, I saw all is here on the chat. I mean, I've been chatting so much with all. He has a fantastic also Riley data catalog book coming out. And we were talking, oh, nice. like, it's nice. more than the data catalog. He agrees with me on that one, mm -hmm. which should be more. We're putting these names. Is it the, the the enterprise catalog, the memory catalog, whatever? So, anyways, I just point is that it's much more than just the data, the, the facts that are in there. We really need to start cataloging the people and the questions people have, because that's kind of the, the that's that's the essence of why the business exists. Yeah, I like Adam's comment here. He said actionable knowledge, right? It's about how do you how do you go from data catalog to actionable knowledge? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's spot on. I mean, I kind of think of data cataloging is like basically, um, you know, to make a supply chain equivalency, like your inventory table or something like that, or a product list or something. It's like, it's nice, but it, on its own, it's pretty inert. Um, you know, if you look at a, a, a warehouse, like an actual warehouse, for example, right? Inventory sits there because it's supposed to be used for something else, like a sale. It's an asset that sits there. And actually, it's an asset that works against you if it isn't moving because that's just that's it's idle space right? that's taken up. Right. And so the data equivalent is, well, you know what? You know, how is it being used? Is there is there an you know, equivalent of like an order for this, this, this piece of data? And if there's not, like, why do you have it? It's so. almost like data marketing in some sense, right? I mean, people hmm, people complain about marketing. It seems distasteful, especially to academic types. But uh, marketing is what gets products into people's hands. And if you have a really useful product to sell, yeah. then I appreciate you <clears throat> marketing to me to say, hey, maybe you'd be interested in this e-bike or whatever it is. And I'm like, oh, that's actually really cool now that I investigate it. And it's like we need to do the same thing with data. Say, here's all this data. But Go to the business and say, why don't we talk about how you can do this? Do you respond this? to those voice calls that ask you about your car warranty? I, I do not. It's the wrong kind of marketing. I like right. the comment about marketing because I think that it, it, it is like, how do you, how do you like communicate the value of data and help people mm -hmm. understand like what it is, why it's valuable? Like, I, I think the supply chain analogy is an interesting one mm -hmm. because, like, if you're doing a good job with your data, you're not just, like, inventorying for the sake of inventorying. You're actually yes. trying to build some kind of, like, a just-in-time approach where you're like, okay, what's the, what's the least amount of work that we can do to get the most value out of our data or the assets that you have? And, and not just, like, what is the point of the supply chain? The point of the supply chain is to feed the the retail experience and the marketplace like of where people go to buy the goods and the exchanging of services. Right. So there's the whole marketplace aspect of this, which I think, you know, nowadays you hear people throwing around this phrase now data products and this idea mm -hmm. of data products becoming really popular. Now, I think that's really the right direction of all of this because it's getting us to think about more like, well, what is, what is a data product? 
what like a product has some kind of intrinsic meaning. It has a user of some yeah. kind. It has some kind of a use case. You know, I, I think that's the right way to think about this in terms of like data value. And that was one of the, you know, one of the days that we were just sitting down and drinking and brainstorming. We were like, everybody's talking about data products and what does this stuff mean and so forth. So we've been, we've been posted about this whole ABC framework. And this is something I've actually been asking people to get more feedback to see if I want people agree, disagree, what's missing. So we call it the ABCs of data products, accountability, boundaries, contracts and expectations, downstream consumers and explicit knowledge. Um, and so, I mean, we, we bring product thinking to software. We bring product thinking to things like this water bottle by Yeti was created because they really understood who consumer for this can be, right? How, 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 what is the design around this stuff? How they're going to go market that stuff. And we should do that same for data. Um, and, yeah. and, and I mean, we talked about marketing, like the, 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 the data, the products that we're generating for data, they should be used, uh, you should have ambassadors. I like this. So Laura Madsen has this great book called Disrupting Data Governance. And she talks about data ambassador, ambassadors. And they're the ones who need to be promoting the data. So if like, I'm going to generate data, data products, like I, I should be, how am I being successful? A measure of success is, hey, is this data product one being used by the people who just, who asked me for it? And are other people using it too? Is it, Am I getting new feature requests to, to expand on that? Like that's that, that's how I would measure success around that. And I think we're just starting to kind of get into that mindset. Well, it's funny how many of the ideas of data are, are just, um, I think, borrowed from areas like supply chains are a really big one. Like if you, if you look at like um, the adoption of uh, uh, Lean and how that inspired things like Agile and um, DevOps and now Data Ops and other ops, um, you know, it's pretty clear because like I think Lean really hits on the head a lot of these um, changes. You know, that should that we should be talking about right like treating everything as a product like that's that's an idea from lean like orienting things around consumer needs and, and product oriented thinking and reducing waste so like everything should be on a flow right like inventory is actually a really bad idea um you know as, as tim points out just in time and, and it's um i think a lot of these concepts like x as a product right like that's that's literally like the essence of lean is thinking of things along product lines, not along department lines. Like we're so used to thinking marketing's over here, sales is over here, finance is over here, silos, right? Like you get rid of those things and like treat every deliverable as a product and move fast. It's not like you have to, you know, monolithically say, okay, so there's our data product and this is like the only data product you'll ever get. Um, you know, so, so anything that I think moves it in this direction is, is um, you know, definitely welcome. Cause right now it definitely seems like it's still very, batch and queue oriented to borrow another uh, phrase from the supply chain right where everything is just sort of like batched together queued up sent down the stream and lot or in the, a lot of cases just lobbed over the next wall to the, whatever silo happens to receive it and it's just and i think that's a big reason why things don't get adopted is because there are a lot of the stakeholders that should be involved like why aren't you getting sales and marketing involved in, in your data products? You know, why, why aren't you getting everybody involved who touches this it's it's so, so we're doing I it think, absolutely wrong i think one of the like in an organization, I think one of the departments who touches a lot of the data or, or should be touching a lot of the data is, for example, the marketing team. For sure. Right? Mm -hmm. So, so I, if how to start, like actually go talk to the marketing team and how they're looking about the data. And then, so if this is part of the business literacy, right? So how does, how does data and money flow and the systems around it, right? So we need to get customers, right? We, we have something we're selling to get customers. So we're going to have marketing go spend money. They're going to spend money on ads, Generate campaigns. 
where are they? They're going to go spend that. I don't know on LinkedIn, Google ads. All right. So there's money's been there and those are, that's going to generate some data. Okay, who clicked on this thing and so forth. Right. And that's going to generate what? Leads and those leads have a different types of leads, right? Is this a, a sales qualified lead, a marketing qualified, MQL and SQL? Like this is stuff we need to be learning. Does do you have a special type of lead that you that you call? What is that? What are the different pipelines and stuff? So if it, it goes into the marketing pipeline and they have software to go deal with that stuff too, right? They have software. So Google Analytics will have some things and and LinkedIn will have some other. So those soft there's thing data coming from they need to go integrate. Then there's data from all the marketing things that you any mark martech tools and then that goes into it's a lead it goes into the sales funnel and there's a different pipeline over there and then you have another tool a crm a salesforce a hubspot whatever and those go through a bunch of other things in there too and eventually you go make the sale you bring in a customer and where does that go and that data ends up into a gain site or some other customer management system over you go use and then they have all these things and then you want to go upsell and it's go like right there by describing it we've under there's all this knowledge. So when, when we talk about, oh, yeah. what is a user? What is a customer? It's like, well, there's so many different, well, from a marketing perspective, from a sales perspective, from a cut, from a CS perspective, how does that data flow? Um, oh, I under the context and relationships. Well, this data just came in from this other pipeline, this other flow from this, from the, from marketing to sales. Like there's a difference. That's why we have a mismatch. That's why it's complicated and so forth. So we need, and then if we understand that flow, we understand who are the people involved in that and what are the systems involved in that, the different tools. Like this is stuff that we, that, Every data person in organization should learn. And if you don't learn that, then you're just, you're, you're literally, I, I would say you're running around like a chicken with their heads cut off. And I think if you want to be successful, go understand how the business works. And that's what I call business literacy. Yeah, it's funny. This is one of the most frequent disconnects I see. And often what happens is the marketing side just ends up trying to put together its own data without the technical skills to do so. And then you have in parallel the data org, the technical side trying to do stuff that marketing doesn't consume. And it's just like a massive waste of resources. Yeah, but why does the marketing department do that? Because no, exactly. they, they feel like yeah. the data team's moving not, too slow. And or they're just not, or they don't even pay attention to they what They don't marketing pay attention, wants. right? But yeah, yeah, I mean, it's like you hired this data team yeah. and they're not helping me out. So I'll yeah. just do it myself. Yeah. And, and whether or not I know how to do it, it's a different story. But but yeah. the intent's there, right? And so, yeah. but if the, yeah. if the data team was aligned with, um, let's talk about for, that for a bit. I mean, how would you. How would you two organize data teams so they're, uh, they're effective for an organization? I think that's a great question. I think obviously it depends a lot on the size of your organization and how much data talent and things you have. But mm. I, I feel like there's a really good framework and vocabulary starting to come around that now with some of this concept around data mesh. Like whether, whether you like that term or not, right, there's some core principles around like, oh, I got to balance centralization and decentralization, right? That makes a ton of sense. Um, so I think that when you look at like that example you gave, like you've got the marketing department, they've got certain use cases mm -hmm. around data. Usually you've got some kind of a centralized group, whether it's the data team or the IT team or however you think of that. They've got some of the data talent. Usually they've got the most of the data talent. And, and you know, you might have a few analysts on the marketing side. How do we make sure that these folks are working well together? where you're depending on that centralized group to help kind of manage the warehouse, kind of kind of be the, the governors of some of the common data model around things. And then the marketing team, as, as they're self-serving, as they're kind of using some of that data, that they may have some embedded analysts that are working with that information. And then as you want to like take that knowledge that's being produced from that decentralized team, the marketing team, 
you want to be able to then bring that back into the centralized team. So I, I think, you know, when you think about this model, sort of this hub and spoke model or data mesh model or however you want to kind of describe it, whatever words you prefer, that feels like a scalable model that like when a, when a company is smaller, okay, more things are centralized, right? When the company gets bigger, things get a little more decentralized and, and the centralized team is a little bit more of an enabler. It's more of a governance function. It's more of a collaboration function, you know? And I think this evolves, right? Because uh, if you're starting small, then obviously, then obviously it has to be centralized, right? And you start growing. Um, I, we had this great conversation with the 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 CTO of um, of the Zebra, uh, Mitish, mm -hmm. and uh, and he was on our podcast. And he something I remember today. This is like a year and a half ago. The law, the, the threes and tens. So if you have three and tens, things change. Three people company, ten, thirty. 100, 300, 1,000, like those are moments, th those are moments where things are going to start changing. So that's an interesting, like what, what is a team going to be at the stage of 10 people? You probably don't even have one, right? Or everybody's doing it. Like, 30 people, uh, I don't know, 100, that's going to go straight. 300, uh, th those are good moments to start thinking about how things are going to start changing. Um, so you obviously have some stuff that needs to be centralized. And I think within what needs to be centralized, there are aspects that you need to understand. I think it's like almost like uh, – a regulatory part, if you're big enough to go do that, or understand what is the business value of what needs to be centralized. So, um, if if, I, like for, if a big company needs to do GDPR and PII and all that stuff, then you need to go define that from a central point of view because otherwise you're going to get fined and find millions of dollars or whatever, right? So, you need to have a central team around these things. Um, and there are other concepts that you need to understand that need to be centralized because the business mandates it and there's reasons for it. Um, what is our definition of a customer. I, I chatted once with, with we had on, on the podcast, uh, Kieran, who's the CPO of the Chief Product Officer of Matillion. Matillion has a definition mm -hmm. for customer. It's a user who has been on the platform for 36 days. Not 35, not 37, 36, not one, not 30. They have a reason behind that stuff. They mm -hmm. centrally de define that. There's reason why they did that. And everybody goes off and uses that. So when, when somebody says customer, everybody knows. Everybody that. knows what it is, right? right? Yeah. If, if you're going to go put create a new a new application, whatever, has customer, you know what it is. And everybody knows that they can go trust that. That was well-defined. So you need to have a central team around these things, right? Um, and then what you really want, I think, talk to the folks at Indeed, right? Um, we had, um, anyway, they had this like fixed, flexible, extensible, flex, fixed, extensible, Sorry, fixed, flexible, extensible model. Anyways, you go use it. It's defined. You just go use it as it is. Here is the definition of telephone number. You just go use the definition of telephone number. Here's the schema. Here's what you expect about so it. So that's the fixed. That's the fixed thing. Yeah. And then extensible. Oh, I need to extend it to have a special type of phone number for whatever. Okay, you use that fixed one, and then you go extend it, and we'll make it explicit. And then maybe it's like customizable. There's a new thing. A new concept, something else that hasn't been done. All right, go do it on your own. Go, go, go make that. You, you customize your own new concept, whatever you need to go do. And, 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 and you go represent that. Now, hey, guess what? Maybe some other domain is going to start coming up with something very similar. And I think this is kind of the mind shift. Like, oh, we need to control. We need to make sure that everything is, in, 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 everything is being organized together. It's like, no, I think this is the shift. It's like, hey. The world is complex. Why do we think we need to organize the world and make it all fixed into, no, let's embrace that complexity. So if things are not, are mismatching, then that's fine. We, we get, let's identify where that friction is. And guess what? That's probably good. That's good energy that's going on. Let's go talk to those people. If this, if nobody's complaining about this other stuff, then either it works perfectly 
or nobody's using it. So I'm glad we're not wasting our time on it. That's so that's really interesting. interesting. When you talk about a knowledge first world as well, I think what comes to mind is, um, you know, there, there are circumstances where knowledge is very additive or multiplicative. So knowledge shouldn't be a zero sum game, right? Where it's just because like, there's one idea it doesn't cancel out the other idea in certain circumstances this happens of course but you know how do you feel about this idea where where knowledge can actually um you know be a, a you know a force multiplier and, and make organizations improve uh you know its overall health so i i think goes back to one of the things i was uh let's go catalog questions so we need to understand how the business works and everybody has different people have different understanding and we what what is even the different context that people have i think this is this is the, the, we, we kind of take that for granted the kind of the philosophical point of view is like knowledge is the is the immaterial right it's the language i can't touch knowledge uh but data is like the material it's the physical bits right the matter right it's the data they're the they're the bits i can see it on the screen right there i can see 42 but what does 42 mean? Okay, I know it's a number. It's a natural number, positive natural number. But what else does it mean? I have to go look around it. Oh, there's a column called price. There's a, there's a word called USD next to it. On top of that means currency. Oh, okay. Then I like, oh, so there's this other knowledge around that gives me that context. And that's what I need to understand what that stuff means. And to understand what the business and how, 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 how I can make decisions about this. I mean, it's meaning. I mean, that's why we learn things. Yeah, and I think... The thing that I might add to what you're saying is is a little bit taking it in a in a related direction, but that's that I feel like knowledge is the greatest untapped resource within organizations right now. Like we've spent so much time and attention focused on the data aspect. And so we had the big data movement. We had the deep learning and, and AI kind of movements, right? We've got growing numbers of data engineers and things like that working with the data. But then somebody asks like, well, how many customers do we have? And it's like, well, um, you know, well, let's get, let's let <laughs> I don't know, like, let's go look in the BI tool and oh, there's 10 different numbers. And oh, like the thing that often doesn't get mentioned is like the company intranet, the wiki, the emails, Slack, Teams, right? The amount of chat that's happening there, the knowledge that's in all these things is is not 10 times as plentiful necessarily, although some companies it may be than, you know, just your raw data, but but it's 10, 100, 1,000, a million times as contextually dense. Yeah. And but how are we tapping into that? How are we leveraging that? But so to, now to bring it back to, to bring it to it back to kind of what the audience would probably care about, we're going yeah. too much philosophical and, <laughs> and talk about slacks and stuff like that is, let's go look, for example, uh, at, 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 a, at, a, at SQL queries that generate your reports, at the stored procedures that you go have, right? Um, everybody loves data lineage. Everybody wants data lineage to understand this stuff. Perfect. What are, ultimately, what we really want to go do is kind of understand, reverse engineer what's going on in that code. And when I reverse engineer, it's not just about, oh, this column came to data here in this column and that column and it ended up in here. Like that's the syntax. Oh, I could see that the flow of that stuff. What does it mean? There is a th this column actually means revenue. And revenue is calculated by taking the column over here, which is grand total. It's like subtracting this column over here, which is discount. And this other one here, oh, so the result here 
revenue is this number that was calculated by some formula, which is how we figure out how much money we're making. It's like, that's the meaning. And that meaning is embedded right now in a bunch of code. It could be in your application. It can be in your store procedures. It can be in your, in your queries. It's now being all over all the DBT models people are writing, in your SQL queries, in your views. It's embedded in, the, in, in your LookML. It's embedded in, in, in your analytics and your dashboards, on your freaking macros and your spreadsheets. That's where that knowledge is. And that stuff is just getting lost. And then people leave at the door and we're like, so how do, why does that number match? I, actually, I just, when people say, oh, I, I, oh, where do, there's all these t-shirts you see around people. I'm like, oh, that, the, numbers, the numbers don't match. Really, what you really should be caring about is what does that actually mean about it? And, 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 and that, that's the semantics. And, that, and that's what we should be thinking about. Not just, oh, it came from this table and this table. It's like, that's just the syntax. Like, I can see that flow. This is the shift that, that, that I don't know. I don't. Does this make sense? I'm just rambling here. I'm gonna shut up. No, I think it totally does. What What are your thoughts on this though? Like, how do we connect the dots between the technology tools, like the lineage tools that say, okay, this piece of data came from you know ten different systems, and we were sucking it in, and it got processed in five different stages. How do you connect the dots from that to the like more organizational knowledge to the people part of things? Because mm. I feel like that's the key challenge. Right? It's like a really, really hard problem. <clears throat> well, this is all human generated data, yeah, too, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. So. Yeah, it's sort of the intersection between the knowledge that you can't really get unless people provide it, whether through their actions or through explicitly mm -hmm. providing it, yeah. right? And things that are like an example of this that is kind of a dirty word, right, is documentation. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, yes. <laughs> documentation is good. But then how do you get people... I mean, it's, it is a dirty word, and it's a word that I think scares a lot of people because it's like... Um, one, it's documentation. I think people just have an allergic reaction to that. Um, <laughs> it's like seeing a it's like seeing a cockroach or a rat. You're just like, oh, um, uh, you know. No offense to people that like those things, um, but <laughs> but you know, but at a minimum too, it's like, oh, cool. So now you're making me do a lot of extra work. Um, I have to document stuff. Uh, you know, here's what we're doing. You know, recently we're we're actually um, you know we're we're growing and um, you know, one thing we're doing is actually writing standard operating procedures for everything that we do. Because what Matt and I have realized is in order for us to grow, um, in order for us to hire people, guess what you need to do? Uh, you need to give them an instruction on how to do stuff. It's, it's profound, I know. Um, uh, you know, handing off jobs, but it's, but we're documenting. We're documenting processes. We're making videos. We're documenting how things work. This is knowledge, by the way, that, that now, you know, this is very canonical stuff. Like, this is how the business works. This is how we do things. Um, we've realized early on, like if, if you frame it in such a way that, Hey, do you want to keep doing this job or not? If you don't figure out how you're going to document it and hand it off to somebody. And you know, that, that was our incentive for, for documenting stuff. And I, and I think it's, um, you know, that, that works. But at the same time, if you just come to somebody and say, yeah, I need to just document your data. And it's like, cool. Two of the most boring things in the universe. Now you're making me do that. Cool. Thank you very much. I'm, Probably not going to get around. But we to it. document our code, right? You have to go. You, Do you we? Actually, I haven't written code in a long time. You should. Well, well I mean, you, you should be. Well, Some I mean, people are. Um, yeah, I mean, that's it's hard, right? It's a hard question. Right. How do you tap into it? And I, I don't think. I mean, why, why haven't, why hasn't this been solved yet? Because it's a hard problem. How, how do you make it easy? Can you make it easier? Can you, this right? This is the question, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I think well, it comes down to incentives and outcomes. Cause it's, it's like it, it's incentives. Mm -hmm. it's, it's yeah. Incentives. Like, 
you know, so, Matt and I have an incentive because we, we're tired of doing a bunch of stuff and saying exactly. of our team, right? Yeah. But like, if you, you need to incentivize people, you know, to uh, to do a lot of this stuff, I mean, it has high, it's high impact. That's a crazy thing, right? It's well, not like so, this is just like a waste of time, but you, but most people, again, like documenting your code, you, you know, so, so I, I you know, if we, we sometimes ask, uh, you know, CIOs and CTOs, like, okay, so how do you get teams to do stuff? And it's like, you can, it's carrots and sticks, right? The, 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 the stick is a short term way of doing stuff, it'll work. Um, yeah. it's going to come at, you know, but nothing's free in this world. It's going to come at the expense of, uh, morale and, and probably a few people on your team. So, and, and part of this is what are you measuring, right? Like even like going right. back to the software analogy, right? You'd mentioned like commenting in your code, right? When people look at the velocity of a, of a, of a software development team, how, how often are you just looking at like, well, did you write the code? Right. And, and did the code get pushed to production? Like, obviously you're looking at that and you look at maybe like the testing, did you test it? Right. But like, are you looking at how much time is being spent on documentation? And do you see that as a tax? Like, what, like what if the sprint team told you that, hey, we developed a, a bunch of features last sprint. Uh, we spent 40% of the time building features and we spent 60% of the time writing documentation. Probably people would be like, what? Why are we wasting so much time writing documentation? But why, like, why would we, why are we reacting that way? Maybe that's really, a, and this is where we get a little bit into a cultural issue is that we think yeah. about knowledge and data, like, like data is the important piece. So, so a couple things. One is the, uh, an example of the, agree with the Karen Stigan incentives. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the folks we work with, uh, a company called ProLogis, right? They're, a, they're, a, um, they're a big uh, warehouse, right? If you buy anything on Amazon, 80% chance it goes through a prologist warehouse around the world. They want, they're focusing on like data quality and documenting what things mean. So, so they, they actually have a mandate, CEO mandate on quality of data. We need to have high quality of cool. data. And you know how they're, how they're managing this? They're saying 80, 20% of your bonus is tied to data quality. You work oh, you on the, you work, your boots on the ground in the warehouse. Twenty percent of your, your, of, 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 of your money is, or of, of your bonus is tied to data quality. And okay, that's how do you enforce this? What is it? So they have very specific use cases. It started with something very simple. What is the height of a building? So if in my database I don't have the height of the building it is missing, so what? Well, if I don't know what the height of a building uh, for a warehouse company who's storing boxes and stuff, I got the if I have missing the wrong the wrong number, I could have put more boxes. I could have charged more money. If I had the wrong one, and I've said I, I then I, I can I can I can store more boxes, but I can't. Then I'm gonna get into trouble, right? So they tied it directly to revenue of the company. So it's like, oh, so I'm gonna put this extra work means that we're gonna make more money, great incentive. And by the way, you're you're gonna get your bonus. So then it's a cultural shift that they get and they, and you start learning, Oh, we need to start caring about this. Right. And that culture comes around. So I think that, that those, that's an awesome, amazing kind of story that I heard. And when I tell this to the people who really can't believe, what do you mean? You tied data quality to the bonus of everybody in the company. Yeah, they did. And that's a big cultural shift around it. But if we zoom out, this is, this goes into this, what I call this balance between efficiency and resilience. A brilliant presentation by Professor Moshe Vardy, a very famous computer scientist, to look it up called Efficiency versus Resilience. And he's showing he, this. He gave this talk at the beginning of the pandemic, and he's like, why did we run out of toilet paper when the pandemic started? Because we had a very efficient supply mm. in time. But then something comes around and like, boom, we ran out of toilet paper. So it was not resilient.
You look at the Suez Canal. Very efficient. All these ships go through it. The economy of the world blooms because all this stuff can go. But a ship goes like this. And the economy goes kaput in the entire world. Efficient, but not resilient. So I think we need to look at what are we doing and how we're being incentivized. Is it for efficiency or is it for resilience? And the problem is that we're we're incentivized to be efficient, do things fast, uh, uh, quick wins. Uh, um, people jump from jobs every two years. So they have no incentive to be resilient, think about something on a longer term. And I think this is, I, I think a lot of our struggles that we have right now is because we just focus on being efficient. I think we need to start thinking about being resilient. And I work with a lot of, we work with a lot of customers who are centuries old. One of our other customers, I love, this is Vopac. They're a, they're a Dutch company, an oil and shipping company. They've been in business for 400 years. I spoke with the CIO. He's like, Juan, I need to make sure that our business is around for another 400 years. That's a totally different mindset when you start thinking about information, technology, data, and systems. But the interesting thing with, with efficiency and resilience is, you know, unlike the, um, I would say the atomic examples you give, uh, things that happen in the atomic world, you know, ships getting stuck or toilet paper running out is, you know, knowledge is, um, well, for us, it's bits and bytes, right? So it's, it's ephemeral in a lot of ways. So you don't have the supply chain bottlenecks that you would, like you would in the real world. And so it's, my, my, I, I would argue that the, the incentives for efficiency are misaligned, right? Where like you can be, I, I would say we should be as efficient as possible, but um, it depends on what the business defines as efficiency. And so if a, if a business is only incentivized to work, you know, quarter to quarter in order to goose its earnings, and that's what, yep. that's the kind of stuff you're going to see. And that's what happened with, you know, with supply chains, for example, right? It's like, we're going to squeeze every, every bit of uh, just in time out of this. And just in time, I mean, I've been a big proponent of, of domestic manufacturing for this reason, because, um, you know, I might, I have a background in supply chain and operations and I know what happens when you make things domestically versus overseas. And well, do you want a big weight on the ocean or not? Um, well, not to mention so, like political risk, which we're seeing more and more, right? If yeah. You're just yeah. stuck in short-term thinking. It's like, all right, things are fine with Russia today. We're just going to assume they're going to be fine for the next one. Yeah, we'll get all of our energy from them. <laughs> energy yeah. from them and not to pick on sudden. certain countries, but, um, <laughs> you know, but, but with businesses though, you know, I, I would say like, I, I, you know, I'm a huge fan of efficiency. And, and, and in fact, you know, if you look at like the, the essence of a, of lean or, or DevOps and whatnot, it is to become more efficient with what you're doing. But, um, but it needs to be aligned with what the company's goals are too. And if the company's goals are, well, we're just here to, mm -hmm. you know, maximize shareholder value over the next two weeks. And it's like, mm -hmm. um, efficiency is going to be geared towards that, um, you know, that outcome. Uh, but I would, I would think that, it, you know, data teams should strive for it. Cause you're, again, you're dealing with, um, you know, uh, bits and bytes uh, that, that moves instantaneously like that. Well, it, um, you know, it, but, but at the same time, like, the argument for resilience is interesting, too, because it, it, there does need to be a sense of robustness, um, you know, resilience with data um, and practices as well. Where it could withstand shocks. I got some comments. You, you go first. I got some comments. Well, yeah, I was just going to yeah. say, which is is that like efficiency is all about like time frame. Like mm -hmm. what's, what's the frame of what you're looking? So like if you're looking at like, hey, somebody just asked me for a report. And uh, and the time frame is 24 hours. Well, shoot, I'm just gonna make a one-off report for them, and I'm gonna just do whatever I can to give them the, the info they need. And and then and then three weeks later, they ask me, oh, by the way, I, I I sent that to our CFO, and it's going into our annual report. And uh, mm. and uh, I, I, but one of the numbers feels kind of fishy. It's like, oh shoot, maybe I should have taken the extra, 
you know, uh, 72 hours to actually make sure that I followed the semantics and maybe even encoded it in the warehouse. And, you know, and it's like, oh, cool. Well, efficiency in the 24 hour time span was that was the ad hoc report. But the efficiency in the one week time span is something very different. And so then I, I got to ask also yeah. what the metric your CFO is complaining about, whether it was actually wrong or whether he wants to goose the numbers. I'm joking, <laughs> of course. But... No, no, this is true, though. <laughs> Intentionality you know, or not. Right? Yeah. Well, then that's another short-term business incentives problem. I mean, one thing we've seen right. with the pandemic is all these businesses freaking out about their numbers going down. It's like, well, I mean, if your numbers got really, really juiced by the pandemic, it was kind of predictable that they might go down as the economy shifted back to its normal mode. And so, again, the question is, are your incentives just about like the next six months or are they about the next 10 years? You know? Yeah. Well, I mean, there was a certain uh, uh, data company where, you know, uh, you know, some of the execs that had been there for months or not even a year had cashed mm -hmm. out. $32 million in stock options and stuff and like that, you know, I mean, so again, it's, I don't know anyway on a rant, but no, no, it's, it's interesting. <laughs> right. And I, I think uh, higher up in the chat, somebody was mentioning about like uh, data should be on your balance sheet. And I think that's an interesting yeah. concept also related to uh, incentives is that if the value of your data is actually a real asset, Mm -hmm. then it might change the way that organizations think about the right way to manage their data and their knowledge. Well, I mean, do you see a, a companies adding data in as um, like maybe some sort of a goodwill uh, item on their balance sheet? I, I, I think you can. Um, I've been having this discussion for a while on uh, mm. with Mohammed with mm -hmm. Mohammed Osser. He was, he was a former chief data officer at McKinsey. Now he's at Domo. Um, oh yeah. Oh yeah. I put you in contact. You, should, you guys should meet with, meet with him. Okay. He's, he's in. He goes a lot to Salt Lake. But um, have a chargeback model for data mm -hmm. for data products. So you're you're like okay. I, everybody wants. I'm, I'm getting. I know this data. Or this is the domain that I'm in. I'm like oh, you want these requirements? I'm, I'm gonna get a bunch of stuff. It's like well, actually, let me go start charging. Let's get, give me some of your budget in here. Like and then like well, mm -hmm. guess what? I'm focusing on your. On, on, on this teams, I can't do that teams because they're paying me to go do this. Actually, I'm getting budget from them. And they're like, well, maybe that's, I think, an approach that, that we're going to start thinking about more. So I think a, a chargeback model. And then, and then on the whole efficiency and resilience, I think if we focus just on efficiency and so you, we start creating these silos of silos of answers. I mean, silos of data. Like, I got a question. Here's your answer. Got a question. Here's your answer. Got a question. Here's your answer. Keep going. So the way you got, got that answer, well, you're probably reinventing the wheel. You're probably reinventing it incorrectly. Uh, what if we actually spend some time to figure out what is the found, the strong foundations around these things? And those foundations, mm -hmm. I think that's where the knowledge comes in. So the example I always give is like, I need to know what, give me a metric, metric and give me an analysis about real active customers, real active users. Here it is. Okay. And then somebody has another thing that extends it. Okay. Here it is. Like they're probably even copying and pasting the SQL code or the DBT model to go do that stuff. Ever, and then they gen just generated that. No, but if you think about it, and I think this is where the semantics come in, the knowledge layer comes in. So like, you should not be thinking about it as real active users. There is a notion, a concept called a user, there's a concept called an activity. And the activities are based on all these different features. So let's model that and let's get the data for that. And then when you say, I, what are the real active users? Oh, so that means how do I do that? I just need to go combine, join, right? Integrate, a, a user does these activities and activities greater than 10 are going to be real active users, whatever, or these types of features, go do that. 
And if I looked at the model that I had there, I can then answer a bunch of questions just about users. I can answer, answer a bunch of questions around activities and features that they're in there, plus any combination of that. So by spending that time of defining the model, the semantics, the knowledge around users and activity, I'm not just answering that one question that was asked. I can answer n more questions. And I think that's the scalability around that. So you, I, I, I probably invested a little bit more time to figure that out, but then I'm going to answer just much more questions instead of being efficient and I just answered this one question. So you end up being a one-to-one -one model versus you want to do a one-to-many model. And that's where the knowledge comes in. And the, 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 what makes that hard is that you got to go talk to people. You got to go figure this out. And it's in God forbid, jeez. And, and so humans annoying. are complicated. Yeah. Ugh, I got to talk to humans. Not on social like, media. Well, we started out. Like, talk to humans, you will be successful. Yeah. Yeah, the business gross. Let's see. We don't need to talk to them. That's right. I want yeah. to sit and code. How, yeah. do you, how do you manage the tension? I think this theme has kind of indirectly been coming up quite a bit, actually. How do we manage this tension between decentralization and centralization? So we've talked about data mesh, and then we've also talked about kind of this data commonality concept where you shouldn't have separate parts of the business reinventing the wheel and kind of redoing the same calculations again and again. How do we manage that tension between, you know, having centralized metrics and centralized data teams versus the data mesh and then separateness of managing data across teams? So I got thoughts. You want to? You start. You start. And then I'll, I'll add because, yeah, you start. <laughs> so there's not just one water bottle on Amazon. Yeah. There's probably hundreds, if not thousands of water bottles. Right. So it's like. Shouldn't there just be one? No, there's multiple because it caters to different users and they're hands out there marketing these things. So I, I think it's it's that same type of mentality. You want to go and then it goes back to like being an ambassador and promote, have the marketing around it. So if you're generating the data, you want people to go use it. And if you're incentivized to make sure that, oh, my data is the best and I'm getting rewarded for it because people are using it, then you have the incentives to document it better, right? Which water bottle are you going to go buy? The one that has... No information about it, just one picture, low stars, and one that has most stars. Has, like, I mean, it's obvious, right? So, so that I mean, those are the types of kind of that's what product thinking uh, brings into. And I think that I mean, and that's how you go deal with the centralization. Decentralization. You give incentives to people to see. I just want to go do. I want to be the best, and and I want my data to be best for these use cases. And and and, and given the mechanisms, that's where technology comes in, right? Given the mechanisms to go go deal with that. Go have the best documentation around that. Get that uh, searchable and findable and all that stuff. And then, I mean, people always, oh, you, you're going to duplicate data. That's horrible. It's like, the world is complex. Of course, there's going to be duplication. We can't avoid that because if we start avoiding that, people are going to still do it behind. That's why you have the back office, the shadow ITs. It's still going to happen. So let's, how about we just enable it, right? Embrace that complexity and then let the, let the social world right there figure it out. And I mean, heck, that's how, I mean, reviews and search and stuff. I mean, uh, all right, that was, that was my take. I, I I agree with a lot of that, and I think the only thing I'll add is a little bit of fr of a framework, which is to say, like like the business, you know, the parts of the business that does their function. The marketing team knows marketing. The finance team knows finance. And we just talked a lot today about how important business understanding and acumen is to being effective in sort of putting data to work, right, and, and making the most value out of the data. So in general. I think you should always think, can we start with decentralization and then convince ourselves why something should be centralized mm -hmm. as opposed to the other way around, which I think is the default uh, mode of operation. 
No? There may be some things you need to start centralized, right? I mean, for regulatory purposes, you no, may but, go but I'm saying start with decentralization and then convince yourself what needs to be centralized, right? Okay, well, okay. We, we're subject to GDPR. That better be centralized. Okay. We're a really small team and we can't afford having six different data teams. Well, then, okay, you have a constraint around finances. That needs to be centralized, right? Okay. I buy that. I've heard this idea too. Uh, in fact, we had uh, Bill Inman on at one point, and he basically said he's not against data mesh, but he still feels like there should be maybe some kind of data warehousing that draws from those different sources and then provides kind of a standardized interface over the top of it. So a lot of different ideas in the space. I don't know, Joe, what do you think about this? I don't know. I'm just excited to see where it all goes. Yeah. I mean, I feel like we're just sort of at this interesting inflection point where... Uh, um, it seems like there's a lot of ideas that are finally gelling. And I think we're starting mm -hmm. to ask the right questions. Yeah. A lot of the right questions are, okay, so like, why have we been talking about this for the last 30 years on and off or more? Right. Um, I talk with Bill about this often too. And it's kind of like, I, I think he's, he's of the opinion. It's just, it's just a really hard problem to solve. Like it's, I mean, you're dealing with human nature at this point and just inquisitiveness. Why do we have philosophers, for example? It's like, it's because understanding human, uh, you know, knowledge is an incredibly hard thing and, and the nuances of it, but, but cataloging knowledge and organizations, I think, you know, the big difference between now and, and I would say that back in the day, um, you know, when Bill was coming up and, you know, and in fact, back in the sixties and fifties when, you know, data was just, um, well, you had data systems for the first time, right? The ability to capture data is just, now, um, I think we're realizing it's really important for businesses, you know, and it's, it's, it's sort of the cornerstone of a lot of stuff. Um, and so now, you know, it's it, a lot of these existential questions are being asked, whereas before these were kind of like, yeah, why are you wasting our time talking about this? Like get back to work right now and working your Excel reports um, that I don't know what they do, but just do them. So, you know, so but this is actually, the you know, when I got into data back in the day, it was like data wasn't this the well, data wasn't what it is now like this. They always always talk about. Uh, have you guys seen that movie Office Space? Like, uh, uh, yeah. Here so, in Austin. <laughs> oh, it's an oh Austin yeah, that's movie. right. Um, you know, so the Red Stapler guy, right? I mean, that's kind of like who data people were. Oh, we have a cameo appearance by uh, Chris Tab, by the way. If you want to let him on the show, so yeah, yeah. let him crash again. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he's here. So one second, he's he's been commenting, and uh, he, he, makes, on, he makes cameo appearances in the Friday party. shows. What's that? I've been. Hey guys. It's about a year since our anniversary when I first gatecrashed your show. It may be actually to the day. This might be what I call synchronicity and serendipity. It's just timing, isn't it? So, uh, or better luck. Um, and yeah. I've been a been a Phil first time speaking, long time following. Uh, love your post. Uh, I'm just sitting here, just going, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was actually on my phone in a restaurant downstairs. I've just come up to my hotel room. That's how much. That's how keen I was actually to come up here. Nice. <laughs> Cheers! I'm actually on holiday so officially oh. as from today I'm on a digital detox I'm doing really well uh, I'm actually <laughs> doing really well on the beer detox as well um, yeah no so I, I, mean, I'm in Lisbon at the moment so I've been doing a few of these meetups um, about piecing together the modern data stack and uh, I've got the defender of the modern day stack, and, and it's all about this bring back data modeling, which I think where we first met Ran when uh, well, I didn't yep. know the spelling was correct. So uh, thank you for the support on that. I'm not too sure if the US are beating the UK on the spelling of followers of that hashtag. We can look later. It's not a war or a competition, should we say, but anything that promotes uh, uh, the focus on data modeling and everything you guys have said is just spot on. I think you. I think you actually speak as fast as I do as well. So I was quite impressed. That, <laughs> uh, 
Joe must be thinking, I'm used to this. I've had Chris. I've been Chris Tab train. So, uh, yeah, don't worry. Love the passion. It's great. Nice to meet you, Tim. Yeah. Yeah. What's your thoughts on the uh, the chat so far? Like, what what are you. it's been hot, red hot. I mean, we got Milan on there at the moment, you know, with his data crystal ball. Um, uh, we got Andy Wenham, uh, another hardcore data nerd that works with us. So, yeah, seeing some familiar faces. Um, and it's been, feels like it's been so long since we spoke last time, Joe. Uh, yesterday? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, uh, well, data modeling yeah. is, is a hot topic. And uh, it sounds like the, the adding knowledge. And I think another guy on the, on the chat that, that's been saying some really cool stuff is about you know, context as well. Um, data without context is is invaluable. I, I like to use the, that's why I did the post about the, well, the comment about the data being an asset. And I think not yet, where you don't see it being put on the books. I think if you get, get if we stop doing so many failures, maybe they'll actually would see it on the books rather than just for research and development tax credits. So, um, yeah, I think we need to steer it the right way and where, where we see that, you know, an end-to-end pipeline that's providing a business service. It, you know, it's not just it's not just moving data from here to here and reverse e-telling it out. It's an end-to-end pipeline with lineage, with governance, with data, good data modeling that's providing that value. Right, I'm putting that on my books as an asset because that's worth money. That's my IP. That's my special source. That's what the company's about. Otherwise, why are we doing this? I mean, yeah, any engineers out there, look, we're doing this to make money as well. We have to pay your very high salaries. Yes. yes. Right? I mean, we don't do it. We don't do it for fun. We're, we're, we're doing it to make the data world great and also make the money that pays the bills. So the, like, we, we, organizations need to be centric around what are the outcomes and that outcome is going to, how is that outcome generating revenue or saving us money? And then I think what we, what we need to strive towards is to have these data products or whatever you want to call them. I'm going to call them data products. These should be as directly correlated to that particular outcome. And you say, so such that you could say, what if you did not have that data product? People will say immediately, well, we would have not achieved that outcome. Like you can be very specific about it. So then you say, well, that outcome generated how much money here? So how much do you attribute it to all the different aspects around it? That's what we should strive for. To, we should strive to go to get to that point. And at that point, you can go say like, holy shit, this data product right here is actually, this is the value of it. And this is what it costs on here. I now know why you wear that t-shirt. I have no time for bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> well, it's good. No, it's me neither. But I need to get that t-shirt because uh, not everyone knows it yet. <laughs> These are, well, what, we, we have uh, exclusive t-shirts we're giving out to, to, to our guests and to, to loyal listeners. So... Mm-hmm. Reach out to us uh, to give us feedback on our podcast, and we'll send you a T-shirt. It's great. Can I have one now? <laughs> <laughs> cool. We'll, we'll be in touch. Um, we'll be in touch. <laughs> we're kind of wrapping up at the top of the hour here. Um, yeah, I mean, any, I any, any, any thoughts on knowledge, data, a oh, beer? What's that? I opened up my cool. second beer. I thought you said that this was going to be longer for an hour. So. Oh, crap. Well, we have to <laughs> keep going for a few more minutes. I've got to get back to the restaurant before they think okay, I've actually yeah, gone we'll, away we'll without paying Chris. the bill. <laughs> yeah, Chris. All right. Cheers. Great, 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 you, great, right. great show, as always. Take care, yeah. guys. Bye. 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 All right. See uh, no, but no yeah. worries. We need to wrap up. We're, we're, we're good. So. <laughs> oh, no, no, no worries. It's, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's cool. Um, uh, 
Well, yeah, it's 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 an interesting topic. I mean, kind of, you know, what what are your expectations for where this discussion goes on knowledge? Maybe over the next couple of years, or where do you want to drive it? You're the one driving it, actually. So, where where do you want to take it? Well, you know, from I'll, I'll start off from a kind of a a little bit of a vendor or technology perspective, which is that uh, you know, Juan talked about like data catalog doesn't feel like it quite hits the mark. Right. In terms of a phrase and kind of what it inherently means. And I think our our big hope is that that changes. Right. People. I mean, maybe the term doesn't go away. Right. But like people need to start thinking differently about people, context, relationships, in addition to just the data. And like our hope is that over the next few years here, people really shift their mindset and start thinking about data and knowledge both together and, and really think about not just a data first approach to solving problems, but a knowledge first approach. Um, and, you know, it's a good time to be a data person because we're at the center of all of this. And we're the ones who are at the center of trying to collect the data, collect the knowledge and bring it all together and connect it all together. So I think, uh, you know, Chris mentioned about, hey, we're, we're trying to make money. I think I think it's a good time to be a data person. You're bringing a lot of value to to the world, if not just your company. So I'm writing here some notes here. So I think there's kind of the social, the technical perspective, how I want how I would want this to to, to evolve. And I, and I foresee it and I'm pushing it and I'm pushing it toward this way from a social perspective. I want people to start thinking about knowledge. And the first step for that is think about data modeling. That's it. Like what, I, that's why one of my latest LinkedIn posts is like, what are your data modeling tools that you go use? Right. Listen, I'm, I'm, I'm literally trying to catalog <laughs> the data modeling tools people are used. And guess what, which one, which one was uh, the, the most, uh, the one that people responded the most with pen and paper whiteboard. All right. Um, so, so that I think just, Get people thinking more about data modeling because it's 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 a it's considered a tax. It's considered oh that I have to go model data. I won't be efficient. I'm like that's that, like that, saying that. it's like saying I have to write code. I won't be efficient. I'm not delivering features on my front end because I have to go write code. It's like well, I mean data. It's what you have to do to actually get the data to your system correct. So, so this is this is kind of the mindset. I hope that that start that we're starting yeah. to go kind of shift from there and. And data modeling, I think there's also kind of new types of roles that will come around this. I mean, we've been we did we did this in the 90s, in the late 80s and 90s with expert systems. And this before we got into the AI winter, mm. we had knowledge engineers, right? We're extracting knowledge and writing them in co- into code into rules. Now, for for many reasons, we got into the AI winter, right? It was brittle. It was we did not have methodologies around this stuff during that time. Mm-hmm. So during the 90s and 2000s, a lot of the a lot of theory and research was about doing methodologies on how to acquire knowledge. The knowledge acquisition bottleneck was a problem. I think what what we're coming to coming back is like, hey, we need to bring back that work that we were doing back in the late 80s and 90s, upgrade it to the technology of today. And it's not just knowledge. It's also bringing in that data together. So it's a data knowledge. Yeah. I think though. So that's the role because in the nineties when we were doing that, we were just focusing on creating diagrams. You're just creating the, 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 the pretty picture that doesn't, that does that's not enough. I need to connect this with the data. And now we, so we focus so much on data in the last 20 years. I think now it's time to get the data, the knowledge and the modeling in. So I think, so just having that mindset, having, thinking, having tools around data modeling and, 
and it's a, it's a teaching learning, right? Be more Socratic, have the therapist type of mentality, right? Ask questions, go, why, why, why? Let's try to get understand, right? How to manage conversation. This is the unicorn type of person who's in the middle, but we need more of these things and you can go learn this. So I think that's more from the social side. Mm-hmm. And then from the tech side, at the end of the day, everything is connected. And if you look at an organization, in reality, what we want is an, an, an enterprise 360. For me, I'm biased because this is my life. Everything's a graph. So everything is either mm. a node, it exists, or it's related to something else. And, and when we talk about knowledge graphs and what are like, the knowledge graphs is about integrating data and knowledge at scale. And the application of a knowledge graph is tell me it's an X360. Here's a node. Tell me everything about that node that I care about. Right. That's, that's basically the question, right? You you search on Google, you search for Austin, you get a bunch of links about Austin, you get the knowledge panel that says, oh, Austin's the capital of Texas. It gets you all this information about this thing called it. So that's the application we want. Now, everything is connected. Now, we don't want it. We can't boil the ocean. So I think what we re- really need to go do is how do we start small? Our position, this is, give me, let me be a little bit salesy here, but I'll stop for a second. As a catalog, I believe every your catalog should be built on a knowledge graph. What that means is that your first mm. application of a knowledge graph is your metadata 360 graph. Tell me everything about this table, this dashboard, this thing. Like that, That's the first step. You talk about lineage. Lineage is navigating that graph, right? How this thing moved. That's the first thing. But how? Do, so how do we get to this enterprise 360? You start with your metadata graph. And then like, well, there's people involved in here, right? People are teams or stewards and that stuff. So then you evolve your enterprise. We'll go have your metadata and then we'll have your employee graph, which will be connected. And they're like, oh, I want, then you expand on that. I need, we're hiring. People are leaving the organization. We have all this data that like we have that we're managing. Do we actually, are we hiring the right people because people are retiring and we're migrating to the cloud? So we have like, do we have all those skills? So you get that in. And then we start to understand the business. And then we realize, hey, these are the questions that people are asking about customers. So let's actually get and expand the customers. How are related? What are the business? All this stuff gets related. And that's how little by little we can start expanding. Um, so that's kind of my view of where we would think the knowledge is that event, effectively everything is going to get, everything is connected. And let's actually start making those connections, making them explicit such that you can say, tell me everything about this node or this thing. And you have it all connected. And you also know what you don't have, which is important and how you can keep expanding that. Where do you think the role of decision science falls into this? I have nothing to say about that. I don't know. Because okay. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a, you know, there's, um, there's kind of this sub branch, uh, you know, called decision science and whatnot. And as, as far as I can tell, it relates, you know, if there's any decision scientists in the um, listening, please chime in. But as far as I can tell, it's more about, you know, how do you, you know, make better decisions in your organization and so forth. Um, and, and so, uh, you know, with better knowledge, hopefully that, that translates into better decisions. I mean, ultimately that's kind of, um, you know, the goal of, of stuff, but yeah, I don't know. It's interesting. Economics and probability. And so I, I was having this conversation with, with one of our customers and, and, and he was, because I'm, I'm, I've been pushing this with a lot of our folks we work with. It was like, Think about the catalog as your catalog questions. Like have, and he was like, but we need data lineage, but what's our business lineage? So you made a decision or here's an outcome. What was the lineage of that outcome? Oh, this mm-hmm. outcome was is based on this decision. 
this decision was made by these people based on these hypotheses that they had. These hypotheses were generated based on this data, on, on this dashboard that they came from, these data sets. Like, oh, now we know if that was the right decisions. Who are the people who are making the best decisions or where are the decisions that, I don't know. Like, that's knowledge that we're cataloging right there. That's interesting. Have you talked to Ollie Hughes uh, from Count? Uh, he's, he's, he's got some interesting perspectives on this stuff. Like he, uh, cause he's looking at, he, he, so he did a survey of like different companies, um, and just kind of understand like, how do you, get, how do you make a decision? Right. Um, and what he found is it was interesting. I, I, I'm trying to try and paraphrase from the conversation we had, but it was like, um, like real insights and real actionable stuff didn't really happen until you changed how you were, um, doing your analysis because like, what he found is like most, in most cases dashboards were there to basically represent like the status quo mm -hmm. um and it was more sort of exception handling like if something is different from what you expect then you deal with it but it wasn't until you trying to change your analysis is i'm trying to remember our conversation correctly and while he's listening great chime in um but i thought it was really interesting because it, it was it was like analytics i think it, it, to kind of paraphrase it was more um i guess sort of uh I wouldn't want to use the word ceremonial, but it was just sort of there. Like, um, but it, you know, over time it, it's, it's questionable whether or not things like dashboarding adds any value, I think mm -hmm. was what his finding, uh, one of his findings was, or at least the way I understood his findings, I should say. So I thought that was really interesting. Um, See, all, and you may have seen this yourself when you look at dashboards over time, you're just like, okay, like what's, what's changed? Nothing great. I guess it is true that you often create a dashboard sort of after you've made a decision, you're like, we should make sure we mm -hmm. keep track of this. Right. But how often are you looking at dashboard and, and, and you're making a decision informed by that dashboard? I mean, I'm sure sometimes, but how, you know, how often? I don't know. That's interesting. Yeah. I mean, and, and the thing that I've realized, too, is, you know, if, if a dashboard is supposed to answer what or when type questions, um, you can make a pretty strong argument that that really um, the outcome of that or the action that you're taking from that should just be an automation or an, or an alert or something mm -hmm. like that. Because if you're just looking at sales by day it's like cool that's nice and for one in one hand it offers you historical context if you're looking at it from um the perspective of doing historical analysis and trying to get context but just on a day-to-day -day basis it's like well that where did the line move for the day i don't know um you know and, and so it, it's it's an interesting exercise and the next time you look at a dashboard just you know maybe keep in the back of your head like what what am i okay so if i if i if, if something changed like what am i going to do about that yeah. Right. And really, you know, I, I'm a fan of, um, you know, automating these types of things or at least like giving alerts just for the reason that an analyst really should spend their time focused on like kind of more causal things such as a how or a why type answer. Things that are very indirectly described by the data, but things that are directly described by the data, you know. Well, and I, and I think this is where knowledge comes in, right? Because knowledge gives you that context around that to the explainability. Yep. Right. If, if, if you look at all the research going around on, on, on machine learning and all these big neural net models and stuff, and now everybody's talking about explainable AI. How are we doing explainable AI? Is that, oh, we need the knowledge and the context. And this is like, we're, this is where all, you look at all the work that's happening right now in deep learning and how to do explainable AI. They're bringing in knowledge graphs to go to deal with that stuff and bring in common sense knowledge, mm -hmm. all that stuff. So this is, this is it, right? Um, <laughs> Like lineage, everybody talks about lineage. Like, oh, this thing broke. I should go in here and go, go follow the lines. Like, but nobody explain to me why that happened, right? I mean, I, I, don't tell me what just I, don't tell me go look at the data. Go, don't tell me go look at the yeah. little viewer there. It's like, 
you should be able to explain to me it's happened because of all these all these changes and these people this context around this stuff like that that's an example of how context the, the knowledge makes you, you better stronger more resilient around that stuff mm-hmm yeah, I learned early on from one of my bosses. It was just, okay, so if you're going to give me information, like tell me what I need to do with this. Just don't, don't plop a bunch of information down on me. Like I don't, I got a lot of things to do. So, you know, your job is to give me recommendations, not just be a report, you know, jockey and, you know, give me a dashboard. It's like, that's, that's nice, except I don't really, I don't know what to do with this. And that's, you know, for me, that, that kind of cemented in. Uh, no, the other thing was like, you know, but, but doing it in such a way where you could describe it. Like, so the other thing he would often say is like, you know, don't, if I ask for the time, don't tell me how to make a watch. Just tell me the time. So you got to balance that too, or you know, because the, the temptation for smart people is to, I'm not saying I'm smart, but the temptation for people who work with data is to, um, uh, you know, kind of over-explain things, but in a way that they t- kind of talk about how they derive the data versus how they derive the decision and what the decision means. And this is a very subtle but important thing. Talk to a data scientist and talk about, oh yeah, we made this uh, this model. And here's how we did it. And most of the business, like, I, I could really care less. And when are you going to leave so I can go do something <laughs> with my time? So <laughs> when I, I when I review papers, I'm like, and they go into the experiment section. And then they talk about the conclusions in the experiment section. All they go do is that they write what happened. So we see that uh, element X went up and then at 20% down here. And they're like, okay, you're describing what I can see in the graph. Right? You're describing what's in the table. So what? What's what are the, the takeaways around this? Yeah. Right? Yeah. And then oh, one of the big pet peeves I have is when they have a section called conclusions and they summarize. Oh, so in this paper we work with, like, mm, you just summarize it. What am I supposed to conclude? What are the concrete takeaways? And I think, I mean, this happens in academia all the time, but I think this is like yeah. as, as, as data professionals. business too, right? Like, all the, time. the dashboard went up 20%, right? It's like, oh, okay. Well, what are we supposed what to go do? What should we take away from right? that? And I, and I think this is just being critical. Be more critical about it, about your work, your life. <laughs> Be critical about life too. Yeah. <laughs> Be critical about your life. <laughs> uh, Meanwhile, I'm just I'm hanging out with my dog right now, and then I'm kind of like she does she doesn't understand any of this. No, 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 she's no, like no. Perfectly she happy. She doesn't, she doesn't just, care. She doesn't like, care about data. Life kind of cares about here. Yeah. I, I I do acknowledge that we like wake up one day. I'm like. Like all the stuff that we do, like really, I mean, how are we contributing to society? I don't know. I sometimes hope we. It's kind of like nerd pro wrestling in some ways, you know. Um, so I mean, I, nerd pro wrestling, ESPN I, eight. Yeah, like I don't know. My my, my 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 wife's a behavior analyst, and she works with children with autism. Like, oh wow, you're really helping people, right? Yesterday, I was hanging out with some friends who are archaeologists, and they were like, oh, I just came back from this trip in Greeks, where we were discovering these things, and I was in Antigua, Guatemala. I was like, oh man, like you guys are really discovering the past and doing like, what was I doing? Some doing, spreadsheet, some I don't know. Doing a podcast, podcast. about knowledge. Yeah. <laughs> Solving the world's problems over a, over a beer. So One podcast at a time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We all do our part. I think we got to be humble. We got to be humble about what what else. I, mean, I, I think a lot of the data teams and folks, right, we, we feel like we're in such a high horse. Like we're oh we're amazing and everything. I'm like, nah, calm down, calm down. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. No, no we're not. <laughs> we're cool. 
Well, we got to pop off. Um, yeah. <laughs> got a bunch of contractors at the house right now. I think my wife needs some help. So, um, but it's great talking to you guys. Uh, looking forward to our show. Um, our yes, it is. Discussion data world. It, w- it is. Uh, you all are going to be on our podcast. Oh, look it up. September 7th. We're going to be live Wednesday, September 7th at 4 p.m. Central. Mm-hmm. We'll have an honest, no BS conversation about data. Should be fun. Yeah, let's let's try and have a. Uh, what would do you ever have like dishonest like all be or, or um, all BS conversations about data? You know what I've been. I want to have like a just have a, a pure buzzword. Uh, there we like, go. It'll be a Bizarro episode. Buzzword bingo. Yeah. We'll just play buzzword bingo together. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I want to be able to go have like a, a one of our good friends uh, who works here, Stuart Curver. He's a. Uh, He's he's so funny and how you're like you you can be a stand-up comedian. I would love to go have a conference and just have have a a stand-up about just so what's the deal with why right and just go have a have a fun very geeky nerdy uh, stand-up that only the, the the people in the room will understand. Everybody else in the world is like, what the heck? Are you guys Data about? comedy. There's I was gonna say it's kind of the show actually, but um, <laughs> uh, if you want the buzzword ones, uh, when's Gartner? Hey, just kidding. Um, <laughs> so. next we're in Gartner next week. I'm in Gartner next week. Oh, okay. There we well, go. All right. We'll then be in yeah, you can go hang out so, with them there. Yeah. So hang out. We'll play. Um, yeah, we'll play. Uh, yeah, we're live. So I have to. I have to. <laughs> There's <laughs> offline. We can talk. <laughs> yeah, we, we won't be there. It's fine. Um. Well, cool. Anyway, uh, for people who want to learn more about uh, Data World or or um either of you two, how would they do that? You gotta. We're we're very specific. We're data dot world. Data dot world. Sorry, sorry. And it's data dot world. Yeah. And data dot world. And if you go to data dot world slash podcasts, you can learn about cataloging cocktails. Nice. And um, yeah, that's a that's a good uh good domain name, by the way. Congrats on snagging that. I I like it. So cool. It's, it's fun. All right. Well, Joe, Matt, um, thank you so much. This yeah, is thanks awesome. You. Thanks thanks time. Yeah, on. and uh, uh, this Monday morning data chat coming up. We have a. Uh, Colleen Tartal from um, uh, Starburst. So she's, uh, I think, the one of the directors of engineering there. Um, so we're going to get really, um, really nerdy and probably super technical. Uh, so that'd be fun. There's no Friday show um, next week because I'm taking time off and going to be in New York City. So if also, if, in New, if you're in New York, uh, hit me up. Um, maybe we can go hang out, maybe. So we'll mm-hmm. see. Um, yeah, and I've got an action-packed lineup in September uh, for Monday morning data chat, and uh, yeah, it's gonna be a lot of fun. So, and we're appearing on some excellent shows, uh, like Data Dot World, and um, coming up in early uh, September. So, yeah, looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to uh, again chatting with you guys soon. So, yep, and I'll, I'll yeah. be in Orlando next week for Gartner, and we'll be at we'll both be at uh, Big Data Big London. Data London. Uh, oh, so nice! Better go catch up with there. Chris. Yep, we're gonna go. We'll be there. So, I think. That's it. And then already in December, we'll be in DGIQ. I got stuff in December lined up. We'll be there live over there. So we're, we're going to be around. So look us Making up. in the rounds. That's awesome. A pleasure. Cool. Well, thanks. Yeah, thanks. And thanks to the audience. Great questions. Uh, great. Uh, everything. So have a great uh, Friday. So cheers, see you guys. Everyone. Cheers, everybody. All right. Cheers. All right. Bye. Take care.